The mission of Infinite Hero Foundation is to connect our military, veterans, and military family members with innovative and effective treatment programs for service-related injuries. They're doing incredible work, thanks in large part to the leadership of their president and director, Colin Baden, who through his work with sunglasses icon Oakley, forged friendships with many elite military operators. We're talking about innovation on the front lines and how Infinite Hero Foundation seeks to serve those warriors through reintegration and recovery. This is Pick Up the Six Podcast. Colin, how are you, man? Good to talk to you. I'm good. Good to see you, Brian. I'm uh, I'm very grateful that we get to have this conversation today and, and thankful uh, to the network that brings us together. So excited to get to know you a little bit, have our audience get to know you. You've had a cool journey. And then, man, just talk about this really neat, impactful work you guys are doing. So really appreciate it, man. Oh, no problem at all. I appreciate the chance. How many pairs of Oakley sunglasses do you think you own? You know, I, I couldn't tell you they're, they're boxes of them. Uh, you know, I made a point to try to get at least uh, one piece of each model we launched. Uh, and after uh, 21 years of doing it, uh, it it's, uh, it's quite a stockpile. Yeah. I can I'll never wear them all. <laughs> I was, well, you've got, you've got a pair for every occasion, I would assume. And well, maybe some you don't even need. It's funny, out of all of the hundreds of pairs that I own, I only wear one pair most of the time. Which pair is that? Uh, it's a model called, uh, it was an X-Metal model called uh, Leather Mars, which is kind of a stitched leather round-shaped lens that... Mm -hmm. uh, you know, makes you look like Woody Harrelson, you know, yeah. here's a way of saying, do not touch. Yeah. Natural born uh, killers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I pretty much, that's the thing I wear and it's indestructible and it's never worn out. <laughs> uh, it's just my thing. <laughs> yeah. You talk about my friend, iconic brands, boy, that Oakley O is gotta be up near the top of that list. And the time that you spent there, when you got there, in the early 90s and still today, incredibly strong brand icon. But man, in the 90s, Oakley was was really incredible. I mean, just everybody, right? Every major athlete, again, still to this day. But boy, I just remember that time. I remember my dad getting that first pair of Oakley sunglasses for cycling. I was so jealous because he'd never let me wear them. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your journey that, that got you to that incredible brand and, and, and major, major company. Uh, it was an odd, it was an odd journey. I was a partner in an architecture firm in Seattle and uh, the founder of Oakley, a guy named uh, Jim Gennard, uh, owned property up here in uh, San Juan Islands, which is where I live today. And he, uh, he wanted to build a house up here. Uh, he had a piece of property on an island called Orcas Island. Um, uh, Jim's not normal. Um, he, uh, he was going through architects like you and I change underwear mm -hmm. and he's just looking for a particular execution that I guess a traditional architect wasn't going to uh, deliver. And uh, through some connections here on the islands, he got a hold of me and uh, said, I'd like to fly you up here and see if you've got the grit to do what I'm looking for. And I, came up here. He handed me a pencil in his living room of the house he was renting. He got 30 minutes to impress me. 
Whoa. So I kind of knew a little bit about Jim's background. So I drew a freight train going through a pyramid and goes, you're hired. Of course, that's not what we did. Um, and we started designing houses together. And by I mean together, like I would come live in his house for a week and just draw. And he would come into the room every so often and say, no, that's not it. And then we would occasionally come across something you really like and we'd start to put together all the documents and drawings to make it happen. We'd start building it. And then like Mercurial Jim, he would find a better piece of property. And so what we had started would all get thrown out the window mm -hmm. and we would start all over again. And this process repeated itself 15, 20 times. And so we're talking about lots and lots of things getting built and torn down and moved. And it went on and on and on. Uh, and while this was going on, I mean, I was having a lot of fun. So was Jim, that's probably why it was more like a drug than anything else, mm. just looking for this design high. Uh, he, uh, Oakley had gone public and needed to build a corporate headquarters in uh, Irvine, California. And he started working with a firm uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, and it was not going well. And uh, just on a whim, he asked me to draw what I thought could be the a corporate headquarters. And uh, he handed me a, uh, I think it's like a 1925 uh, Indian nickel, which had a, a, you know, a Native American on one side with a certain headdress. Mm -hmm. And when I go, that's enough. And I, in, uh, I think 24 hours, I drew the building and the next morning I walked in and handed it to him. He goes, that's it, let's build it. Uh, so he fired the current architecture firm and we brought in another firm that just built what we had drawn together. And uh, while that was happening, he said, you know, I've, I need a design department, but I, 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 I need it to be, uh, built quickly because mm -hmm. of how fast Oakley was growing. Yeah, sure. They were blown up, right? Would you come down and run it? And I said, uh, sure, but you got to promise me we're going to build this house one day because we've put so right. much into You're doing still, it. You still haven't done that yet. Still haven't done it. Yeah. And, uh, I said, uh, we got to finish it. So if I come down there and do this, I'll just do it for a little while, but we'll go back to the house, right? He goes, yeah, we'll do that. Uh, so I went down there and uh, was uh, director of design for a number of years. Uh, Oakley went through a lot of extreme permutations in how it went about its business. You know, Jim used to have uh, uh, make wicked cool shit, have a ton of fun doing it and make enough money to pay for the first two. Mm hmm. And, you know, in the public market really doesn't like that kind of attitude. So the sophistication of the company evolved over time. And that's so that it became incredibly profitable, incredibly uh, a great growth engine. Uh, and it attracted the attention of a, an Italian company in uh, Milan called uh, Luxottica. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, they came to terms and Oakley was sold to this uh, company can't remember. It might have been uh, two, 
uh, maybe early 2000s. And uh, so Jim exited the company. Uh, the CEO at the time was a guy named uh, Scott Olivet. Uh, and uh, he stepped down and uh, the corporate offices in Milan decided to uh, make me CEO, which I was for about seven years. Uh, and at the end of my term, uh, Milan had graciously allowed Oakley to exist as an autonomous organization. Mm -hmm. And they recognized, you know, the, the brand is the culture and the culture is the brand. As ambiguous as that sounds, it was incredibly meaningful in our, yeah. our success. Yeah. And, uh, uh, the CEO of Luxottica and the founder, uh, a guy named Leonardo Del Vecchio, got in a fight. Uh, that CEO ejected, and Leonardo didn't like the idea of this very successful thing outside of his control, doing whatever it wanted off in the hinterland. So they, uh, they decided to go through a reorganization and let go of most of the staff in Southern California and moved the predominance of the brand to uh, Milan, which I wholeheartedly disagreed with. Yeah. And, and we parted ways. Just one of those uh, progression of time, right? Just the way things kind of developed. Hey, so in the early days, you literally pivot from drawings of homes to now designing athletic, cutting edge, innovative eyewear, right? I mean, you physically yeah. change what was that transition like? What was that process? Was, was it hard to go from massive structures to literally something that fits on your face? Um, well, architects, you know, they wear a lot of hats and they're really uh, conductors of a whole lot of disparate uh, trades and uh, capabilities. They kind of, you know, the business of architecture has, has, a small, I mean, 10% is design. The rest of it is juggling cats. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so the idea of managing the creative side of the brand um, is really the same thing. <laughs> it's just a different set of, a different skill set. Yeah. Um, and uh, you'd be surprised how much energy and effort goes into just making a great design uh, in eyewear. Um, Jim and I always said that it's the last 10% of the effort that goes into the project that makes the difference between selling five or 5 million. Mm. And, and really understanding uh, the nuances of, of that and how the process you develop to do that are intertwined in a way that I think is inseparable and that without that process you'll never you're never gonna have enough critical insight to really make magic what yeah. happens in the last 10 percent oh man it, it's just a pair of glasses is it goes on the most important piece of real estate on the human body it's your face so it's an extension of who you are as a person if if you put on a pair of eyewear and you just don't feel good about it there's a reason for that. 
And, remember, uh, remember the Seinfeld bit where George is trying all the glasses on. He's like, this yeah, is my face yeah. now. This is going to be my face now. It's true. Yeah. And it's like yeah. the technology companies out there trying to figure out heads up, you know, and it, you know, enabled eyewear and which they continually re repeat this execution of failure. They don't understand this concept of it's your face. And then that subtle nuance they haven't learned yet mm -hmm. uh, and they need to hire that intelligence unless otherwise I just don't see it being developed internally in a technology company that somehow wants to yeah. become a personification of a person's identity. You've got sort of the pair that you wear, right? The leather ones. Are, are, is there a project? Is there something you designed that you just really were proud of? Is it that one? Uh, is there something else that you've created in your years that you're like, that? that's sort of my legacy there? Well, I, I could never take the claim of designing something personally. Mm -hmm. a great group of uh, designers and engineers and, and, and modelers that made, made that happen. It was simply a participant in it. But I always like to think that the projects we worked on, which... Uh, really piss people off <laughs> like who gave you the right to make that who said yeah. that that was going to be okay pushing boundaries disrupting pushing a little bit boundaries and one of my favorites is a glass we called over the top mm -hmm. which we debuted in the i think it was the 2004 olympics in australia and as a pair of glasses that covered your eyes but went over the yeah. top of your head yeah i can picture them right now outrageous and Believe it or not, we sold close to 20,000 of those things. So there's 20,000 nut jobs running around the country yeah. wearing glasses over the top of their head. And I, uh, I just love, you know, I just love the fact that being disruptive can be uh, a good business practice at the same time, quite inspirational if you're a creative and wants to dust up the, the norm. Yeah, totally. So not only world-class athletes, I mean, some of the best, right? You think about Oakley's role in major sports, right? Some of the best baseball players have worn Oakley sunglasses, best cyclists, best runners, endurance athletes, but also the American warfighter, right? The ability to outfit the American warrior, the American soldier with protective eyewear, and that's been a huge part for you guys. And I know it was something that became important to you. So tell me just a little bit about that progression, being in that space and the relationships you were able to form that ultimately, I think, led you to Infinite Hero Foundation. But tell me just a little bit about working with the American military warrior and outfitting them with the incredible product. So in our military, uh, you know, there's different segments and there are... Uh, couple of groups of people, uh, uh, Delta Force and uh, Navy SEALs, that uh, have the ability to operate outside of the normal government procurement channels. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the early days of conflict uh, in the Middle East, uh, leading up to our protracted war, 
these guys began wearing stuff that the military wouldn't necessarily purchase for troops. Um, you know, if you went to Afghanistan in the early days, you'd find these guys running around on mini bikes uh, wearing Patagonia jackets and Oakley eyewear. Yeah, they, they were they able did. to be a lot more functional for the job that they had to do. And they that had work. Adapt, it worked right more. their gear. Yeah. And just like in professional sports, all the other armed services watch what these guys are doing and what equipment they're using. And they want to adopt it because it works. And what started out as fairly organic and informal became a, a real part of our business where we actually worked with uh, elite special forces to develop uh, protective eyewear, uh, gloves, and uh, tactical boots. And this is the kind of work where you really get to push the limits of what's possible uh, in a product category because you're, you're testing it in a way that maybe a track athlete or a cyclist will never need it to perform. So, for example, to make a ballistic, uh, a class ballistic eyewear, uh, you know, it has to go through some pretty astonishing impact tests and to pass them and pass them consistently and deliver great optics is a threading the needle kind of act. They're, they, those two things work against each other. Uh, and it's through this uh, experience in, in the tenure of my time that I got to know some really, really great people in armed services and uh, something I'll always cherish uh, because we get to know these individuals that are, you know, making a major sacrifice for their country. Um, there, there's, a, there's something uh, admirable about their ability to do their job but with great humility. So I see a lot of stuff about Zelensky in, in the Ukrainian battle. Mm -hmm. I, I see how successful that individual is uh, exercising his thoughts around a construct of humility. Mm. And, it, and, it, and why is that? It's because ego doesn't enter into the conversation ever because ego gets people killed. And, uh, so this special group that does such amazing things have this uh, trait that is is and has always been part of my experience at Oakley, that humility was something important and that uh, if you had an ego, that's okay. You keep it in a bucket under your desk. Yeah, yeah. And ever so often you might have hit something over the fence. We'll take the bucket out, have a drink. But when you're done having that drink, Put you put away. the bucket back under the desk. Yeah. And so I really, the Oakley culture really uh, grooved with these guys. It's a great thing. But when you're at war, as long as we have, these guys would come home injured or not at all. And so it was a, a great thing to do. But at the same time, it came with a, an emotional uh, cost and that uh, you had to you had to rationalize uh, every day you went to work at what point do you think you know what i want to go beyond providing product and service 
to, to go down this road with Infinite Hero Foundation? At, at what point does that for you become something that you want to pursue and put a little purpose behind? Uh, you know, it's, it's like anybody during that time. I'd hear about somebody I knew uh, in not a good place or we had lost them, you know, begin to build up on me. And then in uh, August of 2011, uh, there was a Chinook helicopter trying to do a rescue with a whole bunch of servicemen and it's like 38 people in it, mm -hmm. a bunch of Navy SEALs. And it took a RPG round in the back and it killed everybody. Yep. Uh, people I had worked with, I knew. And uh, it was very upsetting to me. And uh, uh, my first response was, I'll, I'll, go, uh, I'll go enlist in part of our armed services. And by doing that, I'll take the place of some young kid that won't have to go do this pretty irrational. Um, so I spent the, the, that day trying to enlist and going through service by service, found out that when you're almost 50, um, you have a fighting chance in hell of getting on the team. So I, my next thought was, we, well, we have all these resources at, at Oakley. Why don't we start pointing, you know, let's point the guns out at, 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 at helping mm -hmm helping, helping, helping the team. And there's a gentleman at Oakley who I really consider the founding, you know, the two of us were really the founding entity that got this going a guy named Eric Post. And he ran, he runs today, still runs today, all of Oakley's military work. And uh, he and I got together and, and decided to build a, a foundation. Uh, uh, he came up, he and his partner in the military group, came up with the name Infinite Hero. And we thought we would model it after what made Oakley so, so successful, mm -hmm. and that is invest in innovation. And within the veteran space, you know, there's, I think at any given time, there's like 3,000 plus charities trying to help, right? Because it's such a powerful, motivating story. And, uh, so within that space, uh, we want, like Oakley, we want to try to bust through some incredibly difficult challenge, like beating cancer. Yeah. And the only way to do that was to find the crazies and invest in it like a VC would, a venture capitalist. And, you know, some ideas are going to make a profound difference uh, to the veterans community and some ideas didn't work, but that's okay. We were gonna go out, fail fast and find some solution to the toughest problems facing these guys and women. And that was, that was the simple construct. And that foundation started in 2012. This is our 10th year of doing good work. And uh, something I'm, that's the legacy I'm most proud of. Yeah, man, it's incredible. That fateful August day was extortion one seven and uh, it's 38 total deaths, 30 Americans, I believe 15 of those Navy SEALs. Uh, your 
catchphrase and obviously infinite hero, right? Totally makes sense with that Oakley tie. You think about that Oakley O, that infinite circle that never ends. You break boundaries. How are you doing that through the foundation work to serve these men and women who have provided so much for us? So we, yeah, we don't run programs. We're just looking for uh, uh, an idea, a group of people that have something that's compelling. And we typically put in what you would call seed money and we'll continue to reinvest up until we think that thing uh, has some legs mm-hmm. and can stand on its own. And then we're off to the next idea because we're not about running running a program. Yeah. And, You're just uh, provide, helping them provide the resources for what they need. Exactly. So who are, some, a, are there some groups, gray there some groups and organizations that you guys have helped that might be worth mentioning or talking about some of the work they're doing? So I'll give you a good story. Um, we had, uh, we work in like five specific areas mm-hmm. in the military space. Uh, you know, we support families, family health, uh, leadership development, uh, suicide prevention, uh, dealing with PTSD issues, um, and uh, so in physical rehabilitation, really obvious. Mm-hmm. Physical rehabilitation is is an easy thing for our community to, to understand. The more protracted ones like PTSD, really difficult mm-hmm. area. Uh, so in uh, in physical rehabilitation, uh, there was a gentleman who became part of our program. Uh, and uh, he was a night stalker pilot in uh, Afghanistan. He was a guy named Gary. He, uh, Gary had, uh, uh, he was uh, paralyzed from the waist down. And so we invested in a company called uh, an exoskeleton, which is a framework you strap to your body and it's powered. And essentially uh, with the help of, his wife, Mary, they could actually activate this thing and he could get up and walk around. And it was give him his life back, huh? It was fairly early on in its technology and it took, uh, it, it couldn't, it wasn't something Gary could do himself. So he had mm-hmm. to have the help of his wife. Uh, it, it was physically draining. <laughs> you know, it took a lot of energy to make this thing happen. Yeah. She could only use it for a short period of time. Well, fast forward, uh, we invested in this group for a little bit. Uh, uh, then along came this other company called iBot, which is essentially a chair on four wheels. Uh, and you could push a button and the four wheels, you can imagine, rotated. And so you went from a sitting position to essentially a standing position, even though your legs weren't part of the activity and this chair would sit there and pivot on two wheels and Gary could wear this thing all day long. So we began uh, putting a lot of money into getting chairs on vets. And through that process, I think I bought, got quite a bit of recognition and all of a sudden, you know, they're off and running as a real thing and something that's quite desired in that yeah. space. It reminds me of uh, my friend, Christy Lucas runs an organization called Roots for Boots. 
she's an awesome person. They're out of Pennsylvania, small organization, quite frankly. And she's just a superstar. I don't know that she ever sleeps. She's constantly working to help veterans in her local area. One of the big things they provide are these track chairs, right? So a lot of these guys, they, they're big outdoorsmen, right? They love to hunt, fish, be in the backyard. But if physically that's been taken away because of their injuries, it's hard to do that. And they basically build these chairs that have these almost like tank tracks on them for these guys to be able yeah. to get around. Gives them their life back. It's incredible. It's huge. It's profound effect. And, you know, the VA is a great institution. Really, uh, think what they try to cover for, sure. Sure. for service personnel. But they all, they don't have the reach to, to go into a community like where I live. They, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, if you're a veteran and you need services and you live on Orcas, well, you got to go a while yeah. to find yeah. support, find doctors. And that's a, a story that could be repeated, you know, a thousand times across our country. And I think the VA is recognizing that and starting to diversify how it does its work and actually start putting uh, dollars into these, you know, things that are similar the way Infinite Hero thinks. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to find these little niche uh businesses that could really have a profound effect in the veteran space, um, but not really be the managing author of it. And to recognize that, you know, when they adopt a platform, it takes, you know, sometimes it takes, you know, it's the way government works. It mm-hmm. takes years to become an official accepted yeah. Yeah. treatment. Yeah. Uh, you know, a great example is uh, uh, at brain health in the PTSD space. We found a, a brain treatment center in, uh, in Newport where, uh, it was a process that uh, we discovered my son went through it. He was having some challenges and the, they used this technology really had an incredible effect on, on his life. And I thought to myself, you know, why are we not trying this in, in dealing with suicide and PTSD? And we started putting, you know, it wasn't cheap. We started putting surface personnel through it and it, you know, you've got to find a place for them to live and how mm-hmm. they go through this treatment over time. How do they come back to it if they need to revisit it? And, you know, it, it doesn't work for everybody, but man, for the people that did work for it, it was profound. And now it's a standard thing. And in actually more and more service personnel are going through that treatment, which I think you know, could be significant if mm-hmm. it becomes an adopted platform. Helen, I got to tell you, man, I'm just, I'm so grateful to be able to continue to meet people like you and learn more about organizations like these that are jumping in the space to be proactive, right? Our warriors, and you've seen it up close and personal, right? You got to spend a lot of quality time with them and, and built real relationships. And, and like you, anytime I'm around that, that community, right? Specifically special operators, you're right about that ego check. And they're, they're such a welcoming group that, to bring you Aren't in. They? It's incredible. It's, you, yeah. it's not what you would think. I know. It, 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 right. <laughs> but they are everyone I've ever dealt with. Right. Yeah. Bring your arm around. Like, yeah. I'm like, I've done nothing. They're like, no, man, thank you for all you do. I'm like, I'm doing nothing. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That's a, it's yeah. incredible, man. So I, that's why I know I could just feel right. You're like, I got to do something. First of yeah. all, you watch this thing happen. 38 go down on the Chinook and you're like, I'm going to sign up. Right. Like, good on you. And they're like, well, no, I mean, I love no. your heart, right? We're not going to let you do that. Yeah. Like, okay, fine. Let me come up with another way. 
to give back and to do something. Uh, very commendable, man. Tell us the website where folks go learn more about it. And if our friends are listening and they're like, well, I've got something that could use some resources or we're trying to push on what we're doing for mental health for our veterans, how can they potentially get some help from you? So uh, if you go to our website, infinitehero.org, uh, there are a lot of different ways you can participate in this space. Doesn't necessarily have to be through Infinite Hero. Uh, because you will find a lot of, uh, you know, we've we've invested in over 38 different mm -hmm. uh, opportunities. So there's a ton of ways to get involved, not, not just giving money. Um, you can actually put your feet on the ground and do something. Yeah, I love it. Um, uh, we just had a guy, Kyle Butters, run 44 miles in uh, on the East Coast. Uh, he raised just on a weekend, I think close to $13,000. Just do just, putting the work in. Just putting the work in. Uh, so if, if you got a passion in this space, uh, we can get you going easily. And uh, it's, uh, it's uh, something you won't regret. Yeah. I promise. Incredible. Man, it's been just so great to get to talk to you. Hear your <laughs> story you a little it. bit, hear about those journeys, hear about that incredible brand. And then how it's uh, become much more of a strength of purpose here in, in what you're doing with this amazing organization. Man, thanks for sharing it with us. Thank you, Thank you Brian. It's Colin Baden. It's called the Infinite Hero Foundation. Incredible organization. Go check them out. And we've just been grateful for the chance to, uh, to chat. We'll talk to you next time. All right. Take He's care. Colin Baden. I'm Brian Jodis. That's been this episode of Pick Up the Six Podcast.